I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. Okay. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Okay, so um, I've sobered up. There's still some blackouts. And, um, I worked in hymens and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later having a good time, baby. Having a good time, baby. We're having a real good time. We're having a good time, baby. Having a good time, baby. I'll tell you one more time. Oh, yeah. We're having a good time. Yeah. We're having a good time. Okay. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. Uh, my name is, as always, Dusty Sly. And I am here this week alone. My wife has gotten herself a job. And she's gotten a job. And she's working today. Uh, so, just like the way I always wanted it. Yeah, I mean, put that lady to work. Get her out there. Well... Uh, I am happy that she's found a job that she likes and, uh, she's doing, I mean, it's not some dream job, but that, uh, but she's just trying to occupy her time. You know, we're all out here like, dang, got nothing going on. I mean, the whole where we've been, where we're going segment is really getting weak around here because we're not going anywhere. We haven't been anywhere. We're not going anywhere. I mean, I've been to the to the Lowe's, the Home Depot, trying to get a sprinkler system working out here. I got a, I got a bit of a sprinkler system in my yard from the last people that lived here, but finding the adapters to hook up a hose to that thing is impossible. Nobody knows what's going on, and I don't know if you've tried to communicate with someone in a Lowe's or a Home Depot while wearing a mask. It is uh, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, I am not into it. But this is an exciting episode because we're going to continue with uh, Selling Pesticides Part 3. This is going to be the year of 2009, what was going on in my life, what my second year with Spectricide was like, and what, what my life was like surrounding that year. And I put together the best timeline that I could, but first... Let's talk about what's going on around here. I wasn't aware that that button was clapping. I have buttons on my thing, and I can push it, and it'll play things. Um, but there's been a cat coming around here. The other day, I was out. Me and Hannah went out on the porch, out on the back deck, and we heard some meowing. And then a cat comes running up. We've never had a cat out here. I got, I got a lot of wildlife in the backyard. I mean, I got, so far I've seen raccoons a couple of times. I got rabbits. I got squirrels. I got birds of all kinds. And to my knowledge, except for maybe the raccoon, all of those things live in fear of the cat. So I'm not trying to have a cat around here. I'm not trying to have a cat go digging around out here and killing all my birds and stuff. But this cat came up on the porch. It seemed very friendly. Hannah, being an animal lover that she is, really got excited. She goes into the house. She gets it some milk. Of course, we don't have real milk. We have almond milk. I go down. I pet the cat. The cat is just doing a figure eight just around my legs, just rubbing up against my legs, just trying to be very loving. And I'm okay with the cat. I don't believe in feeding a stray cat, but Hannah got excited. So she set the bowl out. The cat surprisingly drank a lot of that almond milk. I thought it would immediately run away. But then the rest of the day, the cat stayed out the back glass, the sliding glass door. The cat just stayed there looking at us, meowing. I'm not into this. Eventually... Throughout the day, the cat finally goes away. We go to bed. The next day, the cat's out there. 
So I get a hose. I don't spray the cat down, but I scare the cat with the hose. And I spray water all over the deck, knowing that cats hate water, thinking this cat's not going to come back after this. The cat comes back almost immediately. And then, you know, I just spray more. I never hit the cat with the water. I'm not, I don't hate the cat, but I don't want the cat hanging around. This is my fear, too. It's out by that sliding glass door. One day I'm going to open it up. It's going to come in. Then I'm never going to be able to get rid of the cat. Then it's going to be an all-out war with the cat, trying to get the cat out of the house. So I just want the cat to go away. That's really what I want. But the cat will not go away. So... I don't know. Uh, But the cat, I heard meowing out there again today. I didn't see it. I heard it meowing. This is my fear is the cat's going to go under the deck and it's going to have kittens. And then Hannah's going to find out about those kittens and then we're going to become cat people. And I'm not ready to become a cat person. I'm ready to get a dog now just to run this cat off. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. I'm just not into inside animals. If you are into inside animals, then you may not really be aware of what I'm about to say. If you don't have animals inside, then none of your furniture, none of your carpet, nothing has animal hair in it. Your house doesn't smell like an animal at all. Now, if you are animal people, I feel like there's several kinds. I mean, you have the kind of animal people that never clean up. I mean, I was stayed at a, a buddy's house one time. This was a friend of a friend. This was some of Evan Burke's friends. And they were nice for letting us stay there. I did it didn't bother me. And but they had a bunch of dogs and they had hardwood floor and it's so obvious that they never swept their house. They had like a layer of dog hair like this around the baseboards. We weren't that into, as country as we were growing up, we weren't that into inside animals. We had a a, a lot of outside animals. One time it snowed, and my mom let the dog come inside the trailer. And my dad had a black lab that wandered up. We called it Lady. And the dog wandered up and just stayed with us and was already house trained, and it just stayed inside. But if you don't clean up after the dog, I mean, the stuff just piles up. Right, But then there's people that just work overtime to make sure their house is clean and great and everything's wonderful. I don't want to be either of those people. Like, I like to clean, but I don't want to go overboard with it, right? So so that that being said, if I own an animal, uh, what's my house going to be like, right? And I like that my house is clean of all animal hair, even without me having to do very much cleaning. There's no animal hair in here. I stayed with a buddy that my friend Apples one time let me crash with him. He let me crash with him many times. But one time he let me crash with him. He was living in an RV, and I slept on the couch of the RV, and both of his dogs slept on the couch with me. Now, it's sweet, right? But I'm not into it. That's not how I'm trying to roll. I'm not trying to share a bed with dogs. And I feel like... That's eventually where it always goes with people, right? At first, you're like, okay, we're not going to let the dog on the bed. And then one day you let the dog on the bed. And then now it's a fight with the dog because every time the dog's like, well, why can't I get on the bed anymore? You let me on the bed that one time. Why can't I get on the bed anymore? So then you start letting the dog on the bed. Then you start feeding the dog from the table. And the next thing you know, you're calling the dog your son and I or daughter. And I'm just not ready for that. I'm not ready to send out a Christmas card with me and Hannah and the dog uh, and giving the dog our last name. You know what I mean? I'm not ready for that phase in my life. I like a good old hound. My dad's got a dog at his place he calls Buddy. And Buddy is just an old hound. Doesn't really get, doesn't not really high energy, kind of a mopey dog. Uh, But Buddy is just your buddy. I mean, he'll roll along with you. You go outside, he's there, but he's not jumping on you. He's just there hanging with you. He's like, listen, I'm here to hang. You can pet me if you want, but I'm here to hang. And he'll run alongside the four-wheeler. He'll jump on it. I mean, he'll ride with you. Buddy's great. That's what kind of dog I want. Buddy doesn't really come inside. Actually, my dad told me that lately they've been letting Buddy inside. But they have a lot of dogs. At one time, they were letting in like five or six dogs at night. And I was like, this is too much. 
everybody's got a dog now. My mom's got two dogs at her house. My sister's got a dog. My other sister has two dogs. My other sister raises dogs. She's now going to be raising pit bulls, so I'll probably never go visit her. Uh, she's raising pit bulls. I'm not a pit bull fan. I know that there's there's really two sides to the pit bull thing. There's the people who say pit bulls attack you all the time and they're, they're murderous. And then there are like other people that are like, they're the sweetest dogs in the world, right? And I believe both. I believe both. I believe they're the sweetest dogs in the world until they decide not to be. And then there's nothing you can do about it. I'm not out here doing an anti-pit bull speech, but all I'm saying is I know people personally that have been pit bull advocates and then the pit bull attacks them and they're like, okay, all right, actually, let me retract some of those things because I had no idea they would get wild like this. And I'm just saying, I got a buddy, he has a pit bull and that pit bull is so sweet, but it's so strong that even it's like, don't be sweet so hard. Don't be so hard at me with your sweetness. And, you know, I just, I went from being a dog person to not a dog person, and I'm just not that into dogs anymore, right? Like, I don't, I don't mind them. I don't, like, I, if I go to somebody's house and they got a sweet dog but doesn't want to be petted a lot, I'm into it. But, like, I got another buddy, my buddy Dan. I forget what kind of dog he had. A Rottweiler? I don't know what, how you say it. I feel like it's, like, rot, like with a R-O-T, Rottweiler. But we, I feel like growing up, we called it a Rockweiler, right? Like it was two names, Rockweiler. And I don't think that's right, but I don't know how to... Sometimes I don't want to correct myself for all the things that, that I was wrong about when I was younger because that's what gives me the character, you know, that's what gives me character. That's who I am is growing up knowing that it's thinking that it's pronounced differently. Now, change and, and, and maturing is when you go, oh, that's not what it's called. I'm going to start calling it the right thing. And that's fine for some things. But, you know, I don't know if it's a Rottweiler, Rockweiler. It doesn't matter. What you always want to do is you just when you're not really sure what it's called, you try to like you try to mumble it, you know, Rottweiler, you know, Rottweiler like that. And you say it like that, and then people, uh, they, they just go, oh, yeah, I know what kind of dog you're talking about. My friend Dan, he has one of these dogs, and it is massive, okay? And it's never, I mean, I only been over there one time where we hung out with the dog in the room. And, I, you know, Dan's a man, right? And I don't like to go... You know, he's a man. Like he, you know, he he drives motorcycles and and hangs out with bikers and stuff like that. You don't go over to a guy's like house like that and be like, "Hey, I'm afraid of your dog." But I am. And one day we sat in there and we were sitting in the living room hanging out. And then uh, we went out, you know, on the back patio, had a little CBD, and. Uh, you know, I start to get a little uncomfortable around the dog. And then we go back up into the house. Dan goes to the bathroom. It's just me and the dog. I'm petting the dog the entire time because I feel like as long as I'm petting you, we're friends. And how are you going to turn on a guy that's petting you and scratching your back? But I was so uncomfortable. They say that dogs can sense the fear. So, and people will tell me that as if that's supposed to help me, right? I don't know where this came from. Growing up, I played with a lot of dogs. I just think it's a communication issue, right? I can't tell the dog. I can't go, hey, dog, listen, I'm cool. I'm not going to harm you. I'm here. I'm hanging out with your owner or dad, however you want to call him. I'm just hanging out here. We're friends. So be friends with me. And then the dog goes, hey, no problem, man. As long as I know what's up, I got no problem. Me and the dog can't have that, right? So the dog, if the dog, this, I may be giving the dog a lot of superhero power here, but let's say this. Let's say the dog knows what's going on with me. So I come in, my heart's beating all fast, and I'm a little afraid of the dog, but I'm petting it. And the dog is like, what's going on with this guy? Like, he's petting me. We've cle we're clearly cool with each other, but he seems so nervous. Like, what does he have an ulterior motive planned? And I'm just petting away. My heart's do-do-do-do-do-do. I don't know what a fast heartbeat is like, but, you know, a fast one. 
And then the dog is like, why is this dude so weirded out right now? It makes me uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden I make a sudden move and the dog's like barking at me because he's like, is that the move? Is that what he's planning to do? Is that what he's been planning this whole time? And then so we just got a nervous energy that we're walking on, right? And the dog dog doesn't know what he's allowed to do. He's like, if this dude gets wild with me, I'm going to bite him, right? And I'm at my friend's house and I'm like, well, if the dog bites me, I can't punch the dog in the face. Like, like you don't go to someone's house and start punching their dog in the face, right? I don't even know how that fight would go. If me and a Rottweiler got into a fight in the street, how would that go down? I haven't been in a lot of fights lately. I used to fight a lot when I was a kid, but I haven't fought a lot lately. I'm a little rusty on the punching, and I don't know how how it's going to go down with a dog. And a pit bull's head, head is hard. I mean, uh, so I don't know. So that's what I go through when I'm hanging out with your dog. I stayed with some, some people one time, some comics after a show, and their dog just kept growling at me. We were hanging out in the living room doing some CBD, and um, the dog just kept growling at me and barking, and they, they're like, oh, he never does this. He never does this. And, and it, sometimes they thought it was funny, and other time, and I was like, I was on my phone, like, mapping out a hotel. And I just finally said to them, I was like, listen, you guys got to do something about this dog. I mean, it's uh, either put it in the room or I got to go somewhere else. Like, it's like, I appreciate you letting me stay here, but don't offer me a free place and then have the dog bark at me the whole time. That's why, ultimately, I had to quit staying with comics. Like, I go stay at their house. I got a bunch of dogs, so I got this real uncomfortable thing going on. And then... All my clothes and my bag has dirt, uh, has dog hair all over it now. So, uh, so there's that, you know. Uh, so, okay, so that's the dog thing. This is supposed to be. That's supposed to be a lot of applause, but it sounds a bit like an aggressive rain. All right, so let's get into this. Let's get into 2009 working for Spectreside. Some of this timeline stuff is not exactly right, but I'm just going to give it to you the best I can. At the end of 2008, I got out of the um, I got out of the uh, 1982 Buick LeSabre. And I got into the Dodge Avenger. I had a new car. I was looking fresh. I was feeling good. I had a new apartment. Still in the Mont Haven apartment complex, but I was now living upstairs. And I think by this time, I'm living with my room. Mike has moved out, and I'm now living with my roommate, Milton. I think that's how it plays out. So we're in 2019. I'm living on James Island. Oh, no. 2009, here we are. I'm living Mont Haven on James Island, uh, I've just, this is, I'm going into my second year full-time with Spectreside, and I'm living with Milton. I'm driving a Dodge Avenger. Not much in the love life happening. Comedy is beginning to, to make some headway. I'm, you know, I'm, I've, and uh, things are, you know, things are starting to, you know, I don't know. Things are starting to develop with comedy, uh, but not very much yet. Uh, I've started to do some open mics. I've started to do a thing here and there at Theater 99, but I've started to take some classes. I've been taking classes at Theater 99 for about a year now. Started in 2008. Things are starting to happen. So then I get a call. This is a 2008, 2009 financial crisis in the country. Things are happening. There's changes happening with the country. Suddenly our jobs are unsure. We get a call. We're all on a conference call. Everybody's learning about what's happening. If you got on this conference call, it meant you kept your job. So I knew that my job was saved, but half the company was laid off. Now, up until this time, from 2004 to 2009, it's fertilizer and it's pesticides. For the first four years of my career here with the company, Stu Barber, He did all the inside, all the pesticide stuff. I did all the outside, all the fertilizer, all the soils, right? I had 
perfected this. My first year on the job as a fertilizer guy, I got my picture in the National Bulletin. I think a couple of times for my fertilizer displays. I had figured this out. I was in pretty good shape because I was always stacking pallets of fertilizer. And all of a sudden, we learn on this call that we have now sold the fertilizer part of the company and half the company's being laid off. So now what I'm specializing in is gone and half the company's gone. So that means changes for me. So I went from my 10 stores in Charleston. I also picked up Savannah. I picked up 12 stores in Savannah and I picked up eight stores in Myrtle Beach. So... I have, I've went from 11 stores to 31 stores, and now I don't have fertilizer. So I'm just going to be driving all the time. It's pretty exciting at first. I remember telling people, I remember saying, hey, if I got to have three cities, Savannah, Charleston, and Myrtle Beach, that's not bad, all along the coast. And that's what I believed. I believed that this was going to be just great. I'm just going to be cruising on the beach in my Dodge Avenger. But the reality is, is... I'm still going to Lowe's and Home Depot. I mean, this is not the most exciting things in the world, hanging out in the Lowe's and a Home Depot. No offense. I still like to go there, but it's not the most exciting. I mean, uh, a joke that I wrote, I wrote this joke in 2014, but I was, um, you know, it, it rings true. I mean, while I was working there, the slogan for Home Depot is, you can do it, we can help. And it's vague, but I'm pretty sure they're talking about suicide. You know what I mean? I hated a Home Depot. I loved a Lowe's, but I hated a Home Depot, and I had picked up all these stores. But now I got a new boss. My, my old boss, Jason, from Charlotte, is he's been demoted, so he's at my position again. And then my new boss is this guy named Stan from Atlanta. Now, I want to get into a little bit about who Stan is. Uh, I'm not going to say his last name. I don't know. I could get in trouble for all of this. I don't know. I hope not. Uh, in the end, I'm fine with him. But Stan came on the scene, and we talked a couple of times on the phone before we met. Seemed like a nice guy. Seemed, everything seemed pumped. I mean, my reputation with the company was great. Everybody liked me. There was no problems. Uh, but my district got scrambled up all, all of a sudden. I was part of the North Carolina district, district. Now I'm part of the Atlanta district. So I'm the farthest away, uh, which is great for me because uh, my boss can't really sneak up on me. He lives in Atlanta. It would take a lot for him to sneak up on me. Uh, and he never did uh, all this time, which is amazing. But he was a real overweight guy, right? An overweight guy, but a guy that didn't look like he was supposed to be overweight. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you see a person, and they're built a certain way, and you're like, okay, I mean, you're a big person, but you're, you're supposed to be big, right? But other people are heavy, and they, don't, they seem like, that's how I am when I get heavy. Like, I feel like this is how I'm supposed to look, but then when I get heavier, it looks weird because my body's not built for it. Stan looked like he was built to be a big dude, but had a huge stomach and uh, had like a bit of a crew cut going on, big face, a bit like, a, bit like a Shrek face. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, as this goes on, I think you'll see my relationship with Stan, how it unfolds. And uh, I was not a fan of the guy. I was, I tried, but he made it real hard on me. And he would dip. He used to come, he would dip. Now, I dipped, so it didn't bother me. But he would dip like a whole, like he would walk around the store with a bunch of dip in his mouth. And you couldn't really tell because his face was big. Um, but he would just never spit. I don't know if he was swallowing it or what, but he would just be dipping the whole time. Um, so he became my new boss. And he would come to visit me, and he had a real gravelly voice, like, oh, you talk like this. And... Uh, and he would, he would come in, and that's not way different than mine, but uh, he, he talked a little bit more like this. Like he would be, you know, he, he wasn't this Southern. I don't know why I, I, I can't really lose a Southern accent, but he would just talk like this. I don't know if you ever listened to um, um, Outlaw Country on satellite radio, but he would talk like Mojo Nixon. That DJ was around the same time, and I remember thinking that. Um, they talked a lot alike. 
But Stan would come up, and this is what he would do. He would come up to help me work stores. We wanted to go in, and my whole job in this was to build relationships with store uh you know, store managers and employees and build relationships so that I could set up displays that the customers could come in and buy. And you build the relationship with the store. That way the store says, okay, you have this display here in this spot. Scott's has their display here. Bayer has this display here. There's no fighting. No one's going to move your thing. I never was great at that, but I, some stores I had a good relationship, but I wasn't great at being people's buddy in there. I know that seems weird because I think people like me. I'm a, a friendly person. But all the store employees, like the lower level people, they liked me. You know, I'd go in there and all the other vendors in the store doing different things, they liked me. There was a guy named Lance and he did, I was a, a, a vendor for pesticides. He was a vendor for uh, like uh, sink, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, nozzles. Uh, faucets. He was the faucet guy. So he would always be on that aisle in the Lowe's where you see all the faucets. He would be there with a duster, just dusting them off. And I would see that guy in there and me and him could talk to each other for straight up two hours about how much we hated our jobs. And I always think that's so amazing. Like we complained about our jobs so much, yet we would spend an hour or two on the clock complaining about it. I mean, it was great. I would go into some stores. I'd be like, ah, there's really nothing to do in here. So I'd think, how would I kill some time? And then I'd see Lance and I'd be like, oh, perfect. And uh, so, so, but, but I would have some relationships, right? So Stan would come to a store. He would show up and he would come on the aisle and he'd go, all right, let's tear these displays down. So we would tear the Bayer display down. We would tear the Scott's display down and we would put up our displays and it would look great and Stan would feel so accomplished. But ultimately, it would damage the relationship that I had with the store. Uh, because I'm working to build this relationship, Stan comes up in one fell swoop. He goes, that's how you need to lay out your stores like that. And then he would leave and the store would be mad at me. And I'd, I'd be like, oh man, it was my boss. He was in town. And so they grew to really dislike my boss, which is also not exactly the thing you want uh, because it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't help. So he hindered all the time. So we would do that. We would destroy one relationship in a store and then he'd go, all right, let's get out of here. Let's go get some, let's call it a day. Let's go get some dinner. So then we'd go eat and he would eat a bunch of stuff. I mean, the guy loved to eat. He would just eat a bunch of stuff and give me bad life advice. And, uh, and then he would say, all right, well, let's meet, you know, let's meet at this store at 8 a.m. tomorrow. So I'd be like, okay, great, 8 a.m. So 8 a.m., all right? So what I want to do on a day like this is my boss wants to meet me at a store at 8 a.m. So I go, I want that store to look good when he walks in. So I would get there at 7. And I would get there at 7, and I would have that store looking tip-top. So he would, then I wouldn't hear from him at 8. And then around 9, he would text me, and he'd go, oh, man, I, I'm sorry. I forgot I had a conference call I got to get on, and I'll probably see you around 10, right? So we're supposed to meet at 8. I don't hear from him till 9, and then he says he won't be there till 10. So he would show up about at 11, right? So I had been there since 7. So that's 7, that's 8, 9, 10, 11. I've been there four hours. The average store call, unless you're doing some major stuff, the average store call you can get done two hours, right? So I've been there four hours, and that place is tip-top. So he would show up, and he would go, all right, well, this looks pretty good. You know, this, this store looks good. I see some improvements you can make, but it looks good. And it would look tip-top. He's like, well, it looks pretty good. Uh, he's like, I actually got to head back to Atlanta uh, a little earlier than I thought. So let's go ahead and get some lunch, and then I'm going to take off, right? So he would just come in, help me destroy one relationship, feed me two meals, and then he would get out of there. Uh, one day he told me, we, one day he came for a few days and we hit Myrtle Beach, Charleston, and Savannah. And after that, he goes, man, I'm tired from just all that driving. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that's what I'm going through all the time. So, uh, so that's, that's Stan basically. And then I had three employees now. So now I was a district manager. That's what my title became. So I had three employees. In Savannah, I had a guy named Joe and Joe was <laughs> the worst 
and the best, right? Like, I liked Joe. I had a great time hanging with Joe, but I don't think Joe did anything when I wasn't around. And he was like a New York guy, New York, New Jersey, just had that, he had a real attitude and an accent. And I loved the guy. I loved hanging out with the guy. I would show him country music. He would tell me how much he hated it. And, uh, but he was fun. And then in Charleston, I had a guy named Chris, and he was brothers with a guy that I worked with at uh, Hyman's for years. Twin brothers, actually. And he worked for me for a little while. Also very lazy, I think. Um, and then there was a guy named Rich who worked for me in Myrtle Beach. Now, Rich had been the employee already in Myrtle Beach for a long time, so we just kept him. I think he didn't do a lot either, but I didn't care about any of this, to be honest with you. But Rich was super nice. He was a former New York City cop, and he, uh, but was just, I never could even see how he would be a cop. He was just such a nice, friendly, carefree guy. He retired and bought a house in Myrtle Beach, and he had a bumper sticker that he had made personally of a quote that he liked, and it was, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. And I remember in 2009, I took my first trip to New York City. I'll talk about that later. Uh, and I was remember talking to Rich about it. And I was like, oh, man, that city just freaks me out, man. It just scares me. And he was like, he said, oh, man, you'll be fine in New York. He said, it's such a safe city. He said, the subway is the safest place to be because it's so many plainclothes cops are there on the subway. And I thought that was interesting. And... Because I was so terrified. At, at 2009, I had never been out of the South. I had, I had, I was, uh, how old was I in 2009? Uh, the beginning of 2009, I would have been 27, 26, 26 at the beginning, by the end, 27. I had never been out of the South. Uh, so, okay, so the, that's my employees. I got three employees, Joe, Chris, um, Rich, and I got a new boss, Stan. Right. And uh, and I got new stores. So I got new stores that I'm visiting. I wrote there was a store in Pooler, Georgia, a Home Depot in there. And I believe the store manager's name was Tammy. And Tammy hated me. I mean, this lady hated me like she couldn't stand my face. Uh, she told my employee, Joe, that I was pompous. And I, and I don't know what gave her this impression, but see, in Savannah, they had never had a good Spectreside rep, not for many years. So Scott's and, and like Central Garden and Bayer, I mean, they ran the area. So now I came in and I'm like, I'm here to do my job. Like as much as I, as hungover as I was and at, at times as bad at the job as I was, I was oftentimes pretty great at the job. I mean, I would go in, I knew what needed to be done and I wouldn't really take no for an answer. I'd be like, this is what we got to do. And I would really upset a lot of managers because they would tell me no on certain things. And I would go, listen, this is, this is corporate. Okay. Corporate, my corporate and your corporate set this standard and said, you got to have this. So I'm going to build it or I'm going to have to report that you won't let me do it. This would be displays and stuff like that. Oh, and this would just fire her up so much. It would fire up a lot of managers, but Tammy in particular would get so mad. And I'm like, I'm not even trying to be rude. I'm just like, you're giving me zero display space. You're not letting me have any display space. I need something. Corporate, your corporate office, the Home Depot corporate office says I need, you know, at least one display. So let me have the display. Uh, or I'm, or I'm gonna have to report it because I'm going to get in trouble for not having it. So it would make her so mad. And there were these on the end of the aisle in Home Depot. A lot of times, you know, you got the aisle that runs and on the end would be just, uh, wood. It would just be a wooden wall and just big enough to build a display shelf. So they had on the pesticide aisle in this Home Depot, they had five of those end aisle places. And in four of them was uh, what we called a shadow box. And it was uh, a shelf built, built by like some two by sixes. And then, you would, uh, and then you would put it on the wall and then you could display products. This may not make a lot of sense. Um, but uh, four of them had a shelf already. It was all Scott's products. And then there was an empty wall and it was the main aisle. It was the best one. 
And Tammy said, well, they get all those shadow boxes because they built them. And I said, okay, well, let me build one right here. Oh, you could tell it burned her up because she didn't expect me, Mr. Pompous, to want to put in the work and build this shelf. So she, she couldn't say no. She agreed to do it. I got the wood cut. I built the shelf. I painted it. I hung it on the wall. And now I had the best display in the store. And I was like, now, Tammy, since I built this, you're not going to let anybody have this. And she said, no, that's yours. It burned her up, but she said it's yours. And so it stayed that way for weeks. For weeks, it was my display. And then suddenly, Scott's thing started to move in there. And I would go in and I would take them down. And then I told Joe, I said, when you go to this store, if, if there's Scott's stuff on this thing, you take it off because this is our shelf. And then they kept doing it. And I would report it to Tammy. And Tammy would be forced to take it down. And then it just kept going on and on. And one day, Tammy freaked out. Now, I wasn't there. It was Joe that was there. She freaked out. Now, now, granted, I built this shelf. This shelf was mine. By her own admission, this is your shelf. She said, you have this. You built it. It's yours. So the shelf was so good. It was in a, such a good spot that everyone hated it. The competition hated it. Tammy hated it. Everyone hated that I had this good spot. Everyone hated it. And no one appreciated it. Even my own boss, he could care less, right? He didn't care. Stan didn't care. He didn't know anything. He didn't know what was going on in my area. He had no idea because he's so fat and he was so lazy that he would just sit around and email telling me, oh, you got to do more. You got to do more. Meanwhile, not recognizing the actual progress that I had made. This had been completely taken over. Spectracide had no... We had no representation whatsoever, and I go in and I start making headway. And instead of supporting me, he trashed me. He said, why do you not have more? Why do you ha not have more? And the reason that I bring this up is because this is going to be the reason that eventually my I stopped liking Spectreside. Stan is the reason that I stopped liking it because he never would support me on any of my decisions. So it got to a point where I was like... Well, no matter what I do with this guy, he's still fussing at me. And then I would get sales plan. And I would see one week I would work really hard, and then the sales numbers would come in, and I would be down. And so I'd get bummed out about it. So the next, weekend, next week I wouldn't really do anything. And then those sales numbers would come in, and they'd be up. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, so it doesn't really matter what I do. Uh, so I started to notice this pattern. And one day Tammy comes in. And Joe is there, and he's taken down the Scott stuff off our display, and he's putting up Spectracide stuff. And he said, Tammy freaked out so bad, she ripped the shadow box off the wall and said, if you guys can't stop fighting over it, we'll just take it down. Now, now all she had to do was say to the Scott's guys, listen, don't put anything on this shelf. This is not your shelf. She couldn't do it, so she ripped the shelf off the wall. That's how much of a maniac this lady was. And this is what I was dealing with. All I was trying to do was display products. And this would happen to me all the time in Savannah area. The Scots guys would dominate everything. So I would find new creative ways to display products. I would invent, there would be an empty space where no one was putting a display. And I would invent a way to display products there. And usually those display areas would be better but they didn't have the creative insight to figure out how to make it a good display so it would be empty. I would come in and I would go, oh, I can do this and this and this, and I would make it good. The next week, I would come in and their products would now be in my display space and they would have taken my creative idea. And there was nothing I could do about it. Now, if I were to go back to back in time with the things that I know now, I think I would dominate uh, because I think that Spectreside taught me so many things that I use now in comedy. It, it just taught me, I don't know, it's hard to explain the parallels of these jobs, but Spectreside was, this period of my life was to teach me something. I have no doubt about it. It was to teach me something. And I learned to continue to persevere um, no matter what. And then, uh, let's see. 
Okay, so I also started, no, let's say, let's go in order. Now, in Charleston, the Bayer rep would change every year. We would have a new Bayer rep every year. And uh, prior to, you know, 2009, the Bayer rep had been my friend. um, And I forgot what name I gave him last week, but it doesn't matter. My friend. And me and him would hang and we would talk. He was interested in comedy. So I really enjoyed him. But then I knew he was quitting and going on to take another job. And I was bummed about it. And then I started hearing rumors and murmurs of the new Bayer rep. And the Scots guy came up to me one time, uh, who I was okay talking friends with. Matt Matt was his name. And we were okay. We had been working side by side long enough to where we had a, a bit of a cordial relationship. And he said, have you seen the new Bayer rep? And I was like, no. And he was like, she's, she's super hot. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. But the Bayer reps worked very few hours, and I had so many stores that I didn't, I didn't often run into them. And then I heard more people, more people in the stores. They were like, you hear about the new Bayer rep? And I was like, no, I have not. Oh, I've heard about her, but I haven't seen her. And then Chris, the guy that worked for me, told me that he saw her. And he was like, yeah, she's very attractive. And we were all so pumped. And um, we were all so pumped. I'm going to give her a name. Let's call her Erica. That's not her name, but let's call her that. And uh, Erica... Uh, one day I'm in a store and I see her and we start talking and we, uh, yeah, I mean, she seemed like the, she seemed like my kind of person. Like she lived on James Island. She was a bit of a hippie. That's where I lived on James Island. And so we talked and it was fine. And then I saw her again later at a store and she needed her car jumped off. Um, and so I went and tried to jump her car off unsuccessfully. And, uh, and then one day we were working together and this was around May. It was May 18th, actually of 2009. Cause it was my birthday and I was going to audition for theater 99. I had been taking classes and now I'm going to audition to be a company member of theater 99, something that I've never had. And so, uh, Erica's there working with me in a store and she, um, says, you know, I'll, I'll take your boxes uh, back to the compactor, go do the audition, right? So I remember that, and it went well. I got it. I made it into Theater 99, also a pivotal time in uh, 2009. 2009, uh, I'm having all of these things going with my new job while we are starting the beginnings of a real comedy scene in Charleston that doesn't, now, stand-up scene in Charleston that doesn't exist today and didn't exist prior to this. 2009 was the beginning. It ran from 2009 to 2014, I would say. And it was really something. We were beginning that right now. So I was going to do my audition. Now, Erica, I set up uh, somehow, I don't remember all these details exactly, but I set up a date with her. So I was going to, you know, we're going to go out to see uh, a play. I think we were going to go see, I was in, really into the artsy scene and there was a comedy festival happening and I think I took her to the one man Star Wars show. They were going to do all the Star Wars in one hour, one man. And it was terrible. I hated it. <laughs> and uh, But I took her on a date. Now, I had gone home to Alabama and I picked up my nephew. My nephew was coming back to spend a few days with me in Charleston. Uh, at this point, I'm 27. That's making him 17. And we come cruising back, and then my car starts having some problems, something going on with my battery. Later on, I think that it had something to do with me jumping off Erica that day. I think I got the wires on there wrong, and it messed up my battery. That's why I couldn't jump her off. Uh, so my car was broken. And my friend Tom, uh, he, him and his wife, he worked as another rep in, in Lowe's, and I would go drink with him and his wife sometimes, and they let me borrow their Mazda Miata convertible. So I meet Erica at the place. We go, and then we leave the place, and she locks her keys in her car. So we end up, like, outside her car waiting on a locksmith to come. We start making out, and I'm like, oh, man, this is it. I mean, this is the girl that everybody in the Lowe's – I'm like low man on the totem pole all the time in Lowe's, and now I got the girl that everybody wants. And so – this starts a, you know, we, we hang out uh, all that week. It's great. We're seeing each other at work. We're making out. We make plans to go out that weekend. Um, 
And um, I don't know, some of this timeline's a little fuzzy, but during that week, me and her hanging out, this and that, and during that week, uh, my nephew, Anthony, uh, I have a video on YouTube. Recently, I took Anthony to Colorado with me. But Anthony was up one day, you know, and I, you know, I'm 27, he's 17, but I'm like, well, he's been drinking a little bit. So I have, I'm excited. We're going to drink. We're going to bond. We're going to party. He was supposed to be up for like two weeks. And, um, he lasted like three or four days. One day I had bought some liquor. I bought some beer and I was going to come home and drink with him. And we were just going to bond. And he was so wasted. I got home. He had been drinking all the liquor alone and he was so wasted, he ended up throwing up, and I thought, oh, no, he's going to get sick, or he's going to die here, and I'm going to have to explain to his mom what happened, and uh, he ended up going home. He got pretty frustrated with me and went home, so, but one night, I was supposed to meet up with Erica. Now, things have become pretty hot and heavy between us. I mean, we were, I don't think we had, you know, had sex with each other, but I, we had made out quite a bit. And um, getting pretty hot, though. I mean, we were, and, and one day we were supposed to go out on a Friday, and she didn't answer. I didn't hear any response from her. Nothing on Saturday, nothing on Sunday. Monday, I go back to my regular route, and she shows up. So we go and talk, and she confesses to me that she is living with her ex-boyfriend, that they're broken up, but they're trapped in a lease together, and... Uh, that he found out about me and that it was a really hard weekend for her. So I don't know if it was true, but I wanted it to be true. So we just went right back at it. We're hanging out. So all summer, this is what's happening. Certain days I have to go to Savannah. Certain days I have to go to Myrtle Beach. But the days I'm in Charleston, we're running a racket in there, right? I'll go to a store. We'll meet at a store in in the morning and, and, uh, you know, I'll clock us in, we'll hang out, you know, we'll do whatever. We may work a little bit in stores, but mainly she's helping me do my job. And then we get the job done, and then we would go and have, you know, if it was early, we would have coffee, but some days we'd just go right to a place and start having drinks. We would just have drinks on the clock. I would go clock us both in, we would leave, we would go to a bar or a restaurant, we would eat, we would drink, and then she would go clock us both out. Because we just had to do it by phone, but it had to be done inside the store. And so we would just do that. On a couple of days a week, we would just do, a, do our work real fast and then just go drink. I remember one time, uh, me and her, we had clocked into the Mount Pleasant Lowe's. I know the old manager of the Mount Pleasant Lowe's listens to my podcast sometimes because he messaged me about it. Uh, if you are listen, if you are listening, know that your store was very important to me, and I worked really hard in that store. But there was a summer where I got a little wild. All I wanted to do was drink with this girl. All I wanted—that's all I wanted. I mean, it was like I was, you know, living some kind of country song of franticness, where all I wanted to do was hang out with with Erica and drink. And we. We're at the Mount Pleasant Lowe's one day, and we clocked out, and we went to this pizza. Well, we, we were clocked in. We went to this pizza place, and it was like 11. We had a pizza, and then we started doing tequila. We had a few tequila shots. We were just getting wild. It was hilarious. We were, you know, our late 20s, just getting wild. And uh, we're in our late 20s. We're at a place in our lives where I feel like, like both of us are like, this is not where we really, really saw our late 20s. Uh, working for this pesticide company, but here we are. Let's have a good time. And I was sitting in this place. I was about drunk, and Stan calls me, and I go, oh, no. So I go out, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I just go sit in the car. But I don't want to crank the car up because I don't want him to know that I'm not in the store, but it's also really hot, and I'm just sweating, sweating. And I, I answer the phone. I go, Stan, what's happening? He goes, you better be working. You better be working. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm working. I'm sweating. <laughs> and uh, and that's what we did. I mean, me, me and Erica, I mean, we, uh, you know, we, the whole summer was, was really popping. I mean, I remember I started, I was sitting in the Upper Deck Tavern with John Brennan, a few other people, some of my old friends. And this is the summer. This is, and uh, we're sitting in the Upper Deck. And I said, what we need is a place that we can do comedy every week and the owner of the upper deck i had no idea was sitting right next to us and he said right here every monday i said perfect so i made it happen so we had one planned it was sometime around june or july of 
um, 2009, and we decided this is going to be our first one, Monday night, going to make it happen. And I ended up be showing up late and drunk to the very first one because I was making out with Erica in the parking lot of a Lowe's. So that was what I was doing the whole time. And um, so that one went pretty well. And then there were others where uh, Erica, you know, I was so like just like weirdly like lovesick that I don't know if she ever showed up to the open mic, but some nights she would say she was going to show up. And then when she didn't, I would just find myself in this just drunken, sad state where I would get so wasted and I would go on long rants at the open mic. I didn't know how to host a comedy show. I didn't really time anyone. I just let people do whatever. Um, and, you know, and, and just we had I want to give a shout out to several people. I was making a list. These are some people. Uh, that we had doing the open mic back then. We had uh, uh, me, Evan Burke. This is where Evan Burke started doing comedy. Derek Humphrey. I think Derek started there too. I mean, we uh, it may very well. I mean, we all basically started comedy at this open mic. Uh, Clint Nor, our late friend Clint that just passed. He used to do it a lot. Uh, Jason Gross, Mark Slatka, uh, Apples. Uh, Charlie Williams, Nick Donito. Nick Donito did my storytelling show. Nick Donito was friends with Aziz Ansari. And he had Aziz come there one night and do the open mic. Best open mic we ever had. Super packed. It was great. Uh, Miles Hutto. We had uh, a guy named Gardner. Gardner used to hang around the area. Gardner was like, you know, he was a little bit slow. I don't know the word you can use for people, but he had a mental uh, issue. But he always he loved comedy, and he was always hanging around. He was always drinking, and uh, he used to come there a lot. You could hear his laugh. We had uh, Rachel Kate, a musician. She ended up moving to Nashville. I haven't seen her in a long time. And she closed it out one night with an acapella song, and it was just unbelievable. Uh, Mitch Burrow, he's out in L.A. He used to work the door at the comedy store. We had Stan Shelby, Greg Big Daddy Patterson. Uh, T-Mike, T-Mike 1000 used to do the open mic there. Uh, Big Ike, Bill Davis. Um... Let's see, uh, I think Moe Conway, Frank Morelli, uh, a guy named Travis. I can't remember his last name, but uh, he used to have a joke about uh, uh, a human can of busted biscuits. Uh, you may remember that guy. Justin Cook, FUBU, uh, John Ballard, uh, Tommy Hutchins. I mean, this was, I just wanted to give those people a shout out. I don't know if any of them listened to the podcast or not, but I mean, we had, this was the beginnings of this just beautiful uh, comedy movement that we started in Charleston, but I didn't know how to run an open mic. And half the time, Erica had made me upset and I was so emotional and uh, I just was in a lovesick place. And I had been in this place various times in my life. And this was just another one, but this one was particularly a stronger one because I, I just think I was at this certain place in my life, maybe a little lonely of a place. And then when she came in, it just like, just like encompassed me. And it was just like a real flame. I mean, we would go, we just would drink every day and we would make out and, you know, towards the end on her last day, I knew it was her last day. And I figured I would not see her again. Uh, because you know, the, the, it felt like I was just like her work thing. Like she had her boyfriend that's what it felt like. She said they were broken up, but it felt like they weren't. So on the last day, we really, you know, got at it, right? We really got at it in the Lowe's parking lot. I remember the North Charleston Lowe's parking lot. While one of the managers that he ended up becoming my friend, but at the time was not very nice to me, really treated me bad. And we were hanging out in the car, really getting at it. And I saw him walk by and I just thought, ah, oh, what a loser. <laughs> and then we couldn't go... Uh, we couldn't go back to, uh, if the kids are watching, uh, you know, don't, maybe don't let them listen. Uh, but um, I'm a changed man now, but uh, this was back in the day. And we, we couldn't, we didn't have time to go to her apartment or my apartment. We never went to her apartment. We didn't have time to go to my apartment. But I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to get one last one in, you know, because I was like, I'm not, I'm probably not going to see her again. And I've had a great time this summer. This summer can't end with us not getting it on right so we went we actually went into the woods behind a rest area in goose creek and 
uh, had sex with each other. <laughs> and it was great. And uh, so, and then the summer did end. And we basically ended, she had some kind of party on the beach and her boyfriend was there uh, still claiming it was her ex. And I just, I ended it there. I ended it, but also knowing that it didn't really mean anything because she was basically ending it. But it made me feel good. So, uh, so let's see. So that was very fun. And now the open mic is going. Uh, later in 2009, I move downtown. Now I got all these storage shelves. Spectreside used to send me all these plastic storage shelves that I would have at my house. A lot of people had garages and they had space for them, but I always lived in apartments. I didn't have any place for them. So I had them stacked up in my room. At one point, they stacked so high that they covered the window in my room. I mean, way up there. And so when I moved from James Island to downtown, I had to take those with me. And this thing, I mean, the apartment I moved to downtown was so small that these things took up half my room. It was unbelievable. And I would just take them one at a time, and I would take them and I would put them in a store. And finally, I whittled them down and got rid of all of them. But I moved downtown. Um, I had no mailbox, which was a real and no way for my company to ship me things. So my company was very upset that I had moved to a place where they couldn't send UPS to my house. So they had to get me a storage unit. They rented me a storage unit. I had no parking place. I got so many parking tickets at this place. I was so drunk, I would leave, I would go drink somewhere, and then I would drive my car home. I would park it at a meter. The next morning, I would forget where I parked it. And by the time I found it, I would either have been towed already or have a ticket or a boot. I got towed so many times. One time, I went to find my car, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I parked here, but it's gone. But I'm pretty sure I parked here. And what had happened was I, um, I got towed. I got towed. So... Uh, so it got towed and that was what was going on. So my life ha would, was, had turned into all out drinking, uh, and work was very sad. I mean, now that Erica wasn't around, oh gosh, I mean, talk about like, like imagine you're in love, right? And then your girlfriend breaks up with you and then like things that remind you of them are there and then it makes you sad again. Imagine... I mean, I guess this is not so far-fetched because this happens to people all the time, but when the place that you go and work every day also reminds you of 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 the the love that you've lost, oh, it's a killer. It's a nightmare. Um, I want to talk again about our open mic at Upper Deck, though. Aziz, I, I grazed over this, but one night I had that long list of people I read out. They used to perform there all the time, and we would get some pretty good crowds sometimes, And but this was a dive bar. I mean, they had a saddle near the stage where people would sit. They had a gun game, like an arcade game with a gun, and it was really loud. And we had to unplug it because people would just come right next to the stage and start playing the game while we're performing. Uh, the back of the bar would get really, really loud. Uh, Upper Deck's gone now, which is very sad, but... Um, the bathroom always smelled like pee. There was no uh, lock on the door. I walked in on Bill Davis pooping one time. I, um, uh, it was just a gross place, but it was a blast. I had such a blast there. And, you know, this, this went on all of, all of 2009, just, uh, just a wild uh, open mic every Monday. Um, uh, Miles Hutto, uh, I remember he went he went on like a 40-day fast of not drinking alcohol or something, and then he freaked out on a girl in there. <laughs> but uh, uh, we all had our moments. I mean, I freaked out on people in there all the time. But Aziz came. He was college roommates with my, my old roommate, Nick Donito. And um, uh, Aziz was in town hanging with Nick and he said he'll do the open mic. So he tweeted about doing the open mic and then that place got packed. And then I had every one of my normal comics on before him and they were crushing it. I mean, it was like a hot show. And I said to, I kept saying to the audience, I'm saying, if you like what's happening here, well, we're here every week. 
The only difference is Aziz is coming, but you've been laughing so far, and Aziz is not even here. Um, so come back. Next week, it was a ghost town. Uh, oh, and then 2009, towards the end, towards September of 2009, I took my first trip to New York City. First time out of the South. Me, uh, Dolly, John Brennan, and Andy Livingood got in a car. Um, now, I guess Andy flew up there. Andy and Jason flew up there. Me and Dolly and John drove. We drove my car uh, up to, uh, we went all the way up the, the, the uh, East Coast there to New York City. We stopped off at Dolly's farm. I can't remember where her family's farm was, but we stopped in Delaware where John Brennan was from. We stopped in Philly and had a Philly cheesesteak. It was great. I just remember being so intimidated by everyone. And then we finally get to New York City, and it's great. We're staying in a hotel in Manhattan. I am terrified. Uh, everywhere I go, I'm terrified. We go to the New York Open. Is it the New York Open? Tennis match. We see um, uh, Rafael Nadal play, uh, a guy named, uh, a French guy. I can't remember his name, but really great. I mean, a, a lady kept yelling in French for the French guy. And in a tennis match, is very quiet. You're not supposed to yell, but she would yell out, you know, and then, uh, so another guy yelled out for Nadal, I think something in Italian for Nadal. And that kept, that went back and forth for a little bit. And then my friend John goes, go sports. And everyone laughed and it was a great time. And, uh, we, um, I just remember it being a great time. We saw the Blue Man Group. Me and Andy went and saw the Blue Man Group. Me and Andy shared a, be a bed, and I got drunk. I cuddled him one night, I think, and I don't think he minded it. I cuddled him, and uh, and then later that year, I this was my first time entering the Charleston stand-up competition. In 2008, my friend Johnny T tried to get me to enter, tried to, to force my way in, but 2009, I, I came in on my own. And uh, I finished third in the Charleston stand-up comedy competition uh, at the music, uh, the, what was it, the uh, music farm, big music venue, actually the place where I did comedy the first time. And uh, second place was my friend Tim Heckle. Oh, I forgot Tim. Tim used to do the upper deck a bit too. And then um, first place was Timmy Sherrill. Timmy Sherrill owns, um, used to be Dead Crow. Now it's, no, it is Dead Crow now. It used to be Nut Street. Now it's Dead Crow. He owns that in Wilmington, North Carolina. And he won the contest that year. That year I had a joke uh, where I really liked it. I would say, um, I'd say my name is Dusty. And then I would pause. Dusty Slay. Right? And then, um, and I would say, I don't remember exactly. Wow, it's been a long time. I would say something like, I say Dusty, you say Slay. So I go, Dusty, Slay, Dusty, Slay. And then I would go, all right, well, I appreciate you guys saying my name. Now, um, uh, I'd like, you know, on the count of three for you all to yell out your name. And I'd go, one, two, three. And then they would all say a name. And then I would go, Slay, right? It would get a good laugh. It was fun. And I'd go, if any of you ladies out there like the way that sounds, um, just meet me after the show. I say, hey, it is, I say, Christmas is come and gone, but where I come from, it's always a good time for a sleigh ride, right? <laughs> and uh, I love that joke. I used to do that joke all the time, and then I did it once at the upper deck, and a girl said to me, she goes, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was the equivalent of, that was a terrible joke, and I never did it again. Um... But 2009 was a wild ride. A lot going on, and things did not get better with my boss. I mean, me and Stan really were butting heads, and uh, there was no sales meeting in 2009. A lot happened with the company, so there was no sales meeting. But I was making headway. I was making progress in Savannah. I was making progress in Myrtle Beach. I mean, things were coming together. My area was looking good. And... I guess that's really where I want to wrap up. I feel like I've done everything with 2009. I've been uh, wanting to tell the tale of Erica. Um, don't forget Erica. That that will come back. That that comes back around at some point. I am friends with her. 
still, by the way. She is married now, has uh, two kids, I believe. Um, and uh, we, we, our whole thing comes back around. But I, So I want you to just remember how that was left off. We had a wild summer together. She claimed to be living with her boyfriend, uh, even though they were broken up, her ex-boyfriend. And then at the end, our very last time hanging out was on the beach, and he was there. I broke it off with her, kind of. She had already broken it off with me, but I broke it off with her. And then me and my friend Will uh, left and went to the strip club in the daytime. We went to Joker's Wild, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and it was weird, <laughs> and, uh, but we had a good time. All right, so that's going to do it for today. Thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, we're having a good time.